welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and how everything is Joomla underneath, uh, according to Kendall, anyway. Uh, I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller, and I'm into modifying temperatures with electric fans, sour candy, and shoes. Today, we need to thank Reactive Ops because they've actually been helping us get this podcast up and going. And for full disclosure, I work for Reactive Ops, uh, so I feel like I should say that. Um, if you're using Kubernetes and want it done right or just want to focus on your product and let someone else take care of your infrastructure, look us up at reactiveops.com. Lovely. That was lovely. Thank you. Today on the show, we have Eric Jorgensen, who is an engineering manager uh, for the dot-com team at Watercutter. Hi, Eric. Hey, Rachel and Kendall. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to have you here. We'll just kick it right off with, uh, tell us a little bit about what the .com team does at Wirecutter. What, uh, what responsibilities does the team have and how do you lead it? Yeah, we are the team that's responsible for the CMS that powers Wirecutter.com. So when you visit one of our reviews, which are amazing, by the way, if you haven't heard of Wirecutter, you should go check it out. You want to know what TV you should buy or what uh, little cordless portable vacuum you should buy. Definitely something you should have if you have small children in the house, as I do. Um, you can go visit one of those pages. And uh, we, the team that I, I, I work for, as I like to say, when I'm a manager, we can talk about that more later. We are responsible for all the code and stuff that powers that. I personally buy a lot of things off of the wire cutter. I used to spend all of my time digging around through reviews and I, I love the idea. I did get on and just click, what's the TV I should buy and buy it? What's the monitor I should buy and buy it? What's the <laughs> mattress I should sleep on? So I, the only, my only complaint is that y'all don't review more things that are relevant to me. You never know. We might add more categories. So keep checking the site. I see that it's always growing. So can you tell us, Eric, about your path into leadership and management and how you got to where you are now? Sure. I have a very long and circuitous path, so definitely cut me off if I get too boring. But <laughs> I, think that, I think it's common, actually, in, in leadership. I didn't think it would be, but it totally is. So I've always been interested in technology. I think that's the common thread um, going way back to when I was a kid. Um, I started writing HTML in middle school. I made my own website. It was about Apple, and it was hosted on Tripod. And this was before CSS was even a thing, and I'm dating myself a little bit. Um, so I've always been interested in that. But for some reason in high school, I kind of got away from it, uh, probably because I got interested in girls. So I got more into music and guitar and playing in a band and stuff. Um, so I kind of let technology slide a little bit and really wasn't doing a lot with it. And that carried into college where I ended up uh, graduating with the double major in political science and history. Not very relevant, one would think, to uh, the type of thing that I do now. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I kind of wish that I could go back and, and get a computer science degree. But on the other hand, I feel like the more liberal approach, uh, arts approach to my life that I've taken maybe has helped me. And so I, I graduated from college, didn't have any idea what I wanted to do is common. And I ended up working for my family's business, which is a printing and packaging company. And there I started kind of getting back into tech, um, starting doing some web reporting, learning PHP, eventually started a small design and web studio in this, in this company where we would do websites for clients. And I started doing the coding there and got into WordPress a little bit and realized that it was time to leave the family nest, as it were, and found a job at a small agency. Minneapolis, if, if you're not aware, is the agency capital of the world. I don't know why that is, but there's something like 500 agencies in town. Um, oh. So I ended up at a small agency as a lead developer. I don't know why they hired me as a lead developer with my experience at the time, but they did. And um, from there, I kind of started getting a taste in my actual job of, of kind of setting the tone for things and pushing for improvement and trying to make the team better. Like that seems to be a consistent thing over the, the jobs I had following that. I ended up at a small agency afterwards where I was working as an engineer. Um, 
always interested again in kind of process and understanding the why behind things, asking questions. Can our process be better? Why is this taking so long? And then finally, I got my first management job after that. Um, that was a couple of years ago. And that was at an agency again as well. And I did that for about a year. Uh, and I, I kind of realized that it was time for me to retire from the agency world for reasons we can definitely talk about if you'd like. But I saw this wire cutter position and it was exactly what I was looking for. I feel like you know I'm exactly where I need to be right now because it's an engineering manager position. And, and in that role, I get to flex both my, my tech that I'm interested in, but also really get into helping people do the best job that they can and making the team as good as possible. That is, uh, I think we've had a slightly more circuitous pass on. <laughs> we hear that about that in the next episode that we release. But um, so you just went from being an individual contributor to, and you just took a management position. Did you uh, take any courses or uh, training? Did you, how did you work on your leadership skills? What did you think then that you needed to know? That is a great question. I, I think that I had had a vague interest earlier and I had actually read, I think before I got the job, Managing Humans by Michael Lopp, who we can mm-hmm. definitely talk about, Rand, <laughs> known on the internet. Um, I had read that book <laughs> and that's about it. Uh, the, the person who hired me, his name is Kevin Thompson. I, I owe him a debt of gratitude that I can probably never repay because he took a chance on me. Um, there were other candidates and he thought that I was going to be the best fit, even though I didn't have any formal management experience. And, and so I, I just, from that point on, I actually dove more headlong into, into learning as much as I could. And the Rand's Leadership Slack was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. I see. And you also said that, uh, so you studied something that wasn't computer engineering or computer right. programming in, in college. And so you said a little while later that you had kind of wished you did, but don't you think that sort of having a more liberal arts background gives you a bit more of a, an edge when it comes to communication and, uh, and, and kind of sharing ideas, which is uh, what I think a lot of leadership is about. I think that is totally true. And I, I think the reason I say what I say about it and kind of wish that I could go back and do it is because I will perpetually have the imposter syndrome when it comes to the engineering side of things, because yeah. I'm basically, I'm a self-taught engineer and I feel like, you know, I'm in a room with these really smart people all the time. And <laughs> I feel like, gosh, you know, if I would have had that computer science degree, maybe I would know what we're talking about right now. But you know, the reality is I'm probably not giving myself enough You're credit. You're not going to know anymore. <laughs> it, it, totally, totally. Because everyone, you learn different things. If I had a computer science degree, I, I would definitely be smart. Uh, that, that's, I tell myself that every night. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the point is totally valid. It's totally Did valid. We all come from a non, I mean, I came from an astrophysics and English literature background. So the, not exactly the same, you know, it's not exactly that kind of path either. And, and what about you, Kendall? Yeah, I have a uh, bachelor's in English literature and two masters of religion, which are just very, very relevant to my day to day. That is amazing. <laughs> It really doesn't matter. You have to take what you've got and work with it. And uh, I think that is the best path is your path, whichever path you took. I think that's actually a really great lesson to pull from it. And I think that talking about that is is one of the great things about this podcast, because I think it's easy for the imposter syndrome to perpetuate when you don't know people's backgrounds. And it's easy to think you have way more formal training in something than I do, or, oh boy, you're a manager. You must have had this really lengthy computer science master's, whatever thing. And it's actually not the case. I think you're totally right that many people have, have taken their own paths that are very different. Yeah, yeah, I read the Harvard Business Review management tips every day. And, you know, like you don't, you don't have to do that stuff. It, it's sometimes helpful, but you don't have to do that stuff either. Yeah. Eric, what's a, what's a leadership issue that you're dealing with or thinking about right now? Leadership issue I'm thinking about. Good question. I think I have been thinking about 
the art of delegation a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Lopp, I think to quote him directly says delegate more than is comfortable. And that is something that is very uncomfortable to do as you might imagine. Yeah. And I, I think on my team, it's about figuring out when does it make sense for me to do something and when does it make sense for me to delegate? And I actually have this little matrix I'm looking at right now called the Eisenhower matrix. I don't know if you've heard of it or seen it, but it's, it's really good. You should Google it and take a look. And the, the, the axes are basically urgent and not urgent and then important and not important. And the idea is if it's urgent and important, you do it. Um, if it's not important, but it's urgent, you delegate. And it's kind of, you know, you can extrapolate from there. And I think that leaders often, especially new leaders like myself, struggle with this because we come from a world as an IC where you are measured on the things that you do and checking things off of lists and getting things done. Um, writing code, I got that feature shipped. And you want to apply that same mentality to management. But when your job is actually making the team better and empowering the team and being a multiplier, you have to think about, well, what is going to be best for the team? Is it best for the team that I take all this time and do a task or should I be delegating that to somebody on the team? So that's something I'm always thinking about and trying to remind myself of. Yeah. And there's a lot of personal self-worth stuff built up as well that tends to be an issue, especially if you're coming from, well, I've always been an individual contributor and I always want to be have my hands on something to feel like I'm delivering. Like when I first started managing people, uh, I felt like I got nothing done because all I was doing was you know, arranging for other people to do things or talking to them or I never felt like I delivered, you know, I was historically a tech writer. I like to deliver a big stack of documents and having to pick that apart and think, is it actually better for, uh, you know, for the company I'm working for, for my team, for me to be taking up this time, you know, my workload doing this, is this the right thing or is it just me? Am I feeling like I need to do this? Are you experiencing that kind of issue as well? Or is it more like, what do I pick? I think it's that issue exactly. And the way that I've described it, I think probably in the interview for when I got hired for this job is that the IC um, will be the way to put it. The IC like build and run cycle you get as a programmer of that instant gratification is really hard to let go of. And on the management side, you get the gratification, but it's so much of a longer game. Like you see things pay off in months and maybe years that, you know, when you're an IC, you'd be talking about days, if not hours, right? You get that feeling of success. Whereas now it's, I see some progress in, in an individual contributor on the team, hopefully related to something that I've done or, or a, a, maybe a point of growth that I've emphasized with them. And, and now I see them doing something different. That doesn't happen overnight. That takes that time that I mentioned. So I think it's totally what you said. It's taking that time to step back and evaluating for example, should I be spending my time with this individual contributor rather than checking an item off a list? It's, this is my list, right? Uh, The Mm -hmm. the people on my team, as I said earlier, I work for them more than they work for me. Like I am supposed to be a multiplier. And if I don't devote the time to them, I can't be effective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The thing that's really hard for me in delegation is I always feel like, well, I, you know, I need somebody else to do this thing, but, but transferring the knowledge required to do this thing sounds so overwhelming. It's going to be weeks before anybody else is useful at this. And like, do I really have the energy to pour into that? And it's, I mean, just like what you're saying, there's a, a longer period for that gratification or, or even just sense of success. But um, I mean, I don't know, what are the things that, that cause you to have difficulty delegating? I mean, is it just you know, discomfort over somebody else doing the work or is there something else? I assume it's the same kind of problems we all have. I'm just curious what yours are. I think that it's, it's really getting to the core of my personality, which is that I feel most valuable when I am adding value. And so it's really easy to see a task that needs to be done and think, oh yeah, I could do that. 
sure, I could have someone else do it or ask someone else to do it, but I could do that. And it's not, I'm not even thinking beyond that. It's just that desire to get things done, contribute, add value, and, and just be a you know contributing. Get member. that dopamine hit, like you know. Yes. That box, absolutely. And, exactly. You know, closing a ticket is a little dopamine hit you get, and you have to learn to transfer it to a more like it's like a more uh, steady release. You know, like those those capsules that release over time. It, thinking about it in terms of you're growing this person, it's a much slower process, but checking in with them and seeing how they've grown and getting your dopamine hit from that is a, is a, you know, way to kind of progress along that time <laughs> rather oh, than hundred percent thing myself. No, you're, you're, you're enabling someone else to be more productive. Yeah. And something you said, Kendall, actually, I wanted to highlight is I think another really important part of my job and something I still am learning all the time is to set context because you had talked about how much work and effort it is to basically equip someone to be successful in whatever the task is. Context setting to me is one of the most important things a manager does. And it doesn't come naturally again, be, to people who want to check off that box because you've got all the context in your head. <laughs> How do you transfer that uh, to someone else? And I found it depends. Sometimes it's talking to them. Often it's writing something out and doing a spec or something like that and really giving them something that they can chew on. But it definitely takes work and energy uh, to your point. It's difficult. Well, and along those lines, do you work remote? Yes. Uh, we have a fully distributed remote engineering team. The entire uh -huh. department is remote. So, so I assume that it's more difficult to communicate context in a fully remote environment because people aren't even, you know, it's, it's one thing if people are at least just walking by your cubicle and looking over your shoulder and seeing the things you're doing and nobody ever does that. So is it more difficult or maybe, I, I know that it's more difficult. I don't need to ask that. How do you communicate that context uh, when it probably is more difficult uh, across remote setting? It's a very much of an evolving process because I think the tools they have available are are super important in a remote environment. And we use Zoom, which we're using right now. We use Slack very heavily. We use Google Docs very heavily. And it's I think it's a combination of all those things. And it's about knowing what the appropriate tool is for the specific situation. Because I think it's one of the agile manifest, manifesto bullet points is the quickest path to resolution on something is a conversation or something, in-person conversation, whatever it is. I think that that's accurate. But in a remote environment, Async is very important. We have people in every time zone in the US, including someone in Phoenix, which is really annoying because as you probably know, that changes when daylight savings time changes. So we have people all over. Um, and so sometimes you just have to be async and it's about figuring out how can I be clear in writing um, or is it about scheduling that call you know, when they're available, we hop on Zoom and we talk about it. I think it's using those tools effectively. And, you know, it is evolving, as I mentioned. Um, something that I'm thinking about doing is moving to um, tracking my one-on-ones in uh, a Slack channel instead of doing it in a Google Doc. Because right now, I have a Google Doc for all of my direct reports. And I find that they don't always go into that document um, to add items in advance of our meetings. And I think it's because it's just not a natural thing because they're not in Google Docs all day like I am. If we were in Slack, I think it might be a little bit easier. It'd be kind of a scratch pad that they could use. And that's all also, by the way, stolen from Michael Lopp because he does it. But <laughs> he, is, he is the VP of engineering at Slack. So I guess it's a good person to steal it from. Totally. Uh, now, I want to I go back a little bit to um, something you said about, uh, you know, what, trying to make a decision about how to communicate something because being remote makes it like there's a layer of, com of complexity, uh, potential for miscommunication. Do you have an explicit culture of, for example, um, assume good intent? Because it seems like that kind of thing would be super important for uh, a fully distributed company where, you know, it's easy to miscommunicate if you only have text or if you're not on the phone. And even then, 
uh, you're not in person. Are there explicit parts of your company values, for example, or the, the methodologies that you use that say you have to assume that someone is has good intent with their communication to set the bar? We're actually in the midst of doing some culture and values exercises that'll be really interesting for the engineering team. Um, but I would say informally, we do have that as a value. And I would say um, from where I'm sitting in engineering, I think it actually comes a little bit more naturally um, because just as me thinking on the spot, we do so much of our code feedback asynchronously via text, via pull request reviews, um, which I think is different than in other parts of our organization where, you know, for example, people are writing and I think they might want to communicate a little bit more differently about that. But, um, and where we are sitting, it's very important to not assume ill intent when somebody is reviewing your code and maybe saying, eh, does it really make sense for you to do this there? We use a lot of emoji in our code reviews, which oh, I think is funny and maybe adds a little bit of that, um, you know, levity or whatever. So it's not quite so serious. But I would say that, yeah, it is built into our culture that, that if somebody is giving you feedback, it is definitely not coming from a place of, of malice. Cool. I think that's super important. Yeah. Do either of you work remote, by the way? I am kind of co-located with the, the main team. I work at a, a startup called honeycomb.io, but I, I live across the Bay. I live in Oakland and this there in San Francisco. And so I only go in once a week to avoid the commute. So I am essentially remote, but I am in the same time zone, which helps. That does help a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The goal for the company is to eventually be fully distributed. We're just under 30 people right now. So um, almost everyone is in San Francisco at the moment. Okay. We are fully distributed at Reactive Ops. There's, there's no office anywhere. Um, and yeah, we, we deal with all the, the wonderful and terrible there. And I, I have to say, I think my biggest complaint with it after it's been about three years uh, is that I like the people that I work with so much. I really wish I could see them more often in person. That's, it's, but you know, part of the reason we get such Aww. wonderful people is because we can hire them from anywhere. Uh, <laughs> totally true. Totally true. And we actually have our all hands. It's a yearly thing we've started doing um, in New York next week. So I'll be out there and actually meeting some of the people on the team for the first time because I wasn't able to go last year because we just had a, a baby. So it wasn't the best time. Oh, so it's well, about exciting. a year old. The baby. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Oh, congratulations. <laughs> so the podcast is authority issues and we, and you know, we want to press a little bit on uh, just your relationship with authority. And you've told us a little bit about, you know, your role as a leader and um, just curious, you know, how do you feel about having authority over others? And is it different than how you feel about others having authority over you? Hmm. Interesting. I, I think that that is a great question. And I would say that I still struggle with the idea of having authority over other people. I think it's partially the imposter syndrome that I mentioned. It's partially my age because I, I have direct reports who are older than me and I have had that since I got into management. Um, I think it's something I'm finally getting over because I understand finally it's clicked that it's, it's a management is a career change. It's not a promotion. Uh, somebody said that on the Slack leadership channel and I, I couldn't agree with it more. And it's a different set of skills and a different set of responsibilities. And just because I'm younger or less experienced than someone doesn't mean that I can't handle those responsibilities and do those things. Um, so I think I'm increasingly more comfortable with it, but it's still something that I struggle with because, you know, my leadership style is not authoritarian at all. It's to ask questions. It's to probe. It's to dig deeper. It's not to tell people what to do. Um, which I think most people now agree is not good management anyway, but I think there's this long held association that the manager knows everything and, you know, tells the team what to do, whatever. Uh, so yeah. And as far as having authority over me, I actually don't mind it at all because I'm an oldest child, dutiful. I think Caleb said the same thing. I, I got really good grades in school. I always did what I was supposed to do. <laughs> so I, I don't mind <laughs> when other people uh, direct me or, or tell me, 
you know, what they think I should do. Um, but I have learned over time, it's, it's, it's a better relationship if I'm able to push back and ask questions. And um, I can't say enough good things about my current boss in that regard. She is um, definitely somebody who pushes and asks questions, but she's not authoritarian in, in any sense either. Well, so yeah, I want to I want to press a little bit on that because I mean, it sounds like you have a manager that you respect and enjoy working for. Doesn't your feeling towards authority change dramatically when you have a manager that you're not a fan of or has that not been the case in the past or uh, I've been really lucky overall to have good managers for the most part, but I would actually say where I've had struggles is when there hasn't been a strong management structure. I think mm-hmm. working in the agency world, I kind of alluded to this earlier, maybe now's the time to get into it there isn't a lot of management in the agency world. And I think it's because the business model doesn't really support paying people that aren't working on projects all time, right? Because you're usually billing by the hour. So it's easy to justify, yeah, we'll throw some bodies on this project because we bill them out at whatever we bill them out at, but we don't really want to spend money having somebody lead a team who isn't also doing that. And being in that environment now and then going over to the product side, I I think my faith and, and belief in management has been just totally paid off because I see the value of management and paying people to be managers. Um, and I don't think it makes sense to not have that authority. I think that, that it, it does make a big difference. Ah, yeah. So you were talking earlier about having been in the, in the, um, not services, the, uh, the industry that there's a lot of in, in Minneapolis, you were saying uh, agency, yes. sorry. Yes. Um, I've had a little coffee, but not enough. That agency's work that you started out with uh, may have also influenced you early on about, well, I need to also be an individual contributor at the same time because my 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 billables, oh my goodness, that kind of feeling of worth is probably yes. also related. A hundred percent because there's there are always those times, like even when I was a manager in an agency where I'm getting pressure to bill more time on projects when I have a team of eight or nine people and I'm saying, well, I want to be supportive for the team and I want to be there for them. And if I'm heads down writing code on projects, I can't do that. But again, the business model just doesn't really support it because financially to make it work, you really need to be producing revenue for the company. Yeah. And it's generally a fairly short term kind of thing. And so you can't really measure the benefit you would get from having someone who's entirely responsible for, for managing the team on that yes. contract, right? Yes. Yeah, and you yeah. also, of course, tend to have a lot more turnover in agencies, which is interesting. And I feel like there's an, a strong association between the relative lack of management and higher turnover. But that's just my my sitting place as a manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do you, uh, kind of going more into the relationship with authority, uh, did you have a different relationship with, you said when you were, when you were a kid, you, uh, you were the oldest and so you were accustomed to both probably being in authority over your, your siblings, but also the first person to receive the instructions to begin with from your, from your parents, right? So how that, that affected your relationship with authority? And how did you, how have you evolved that as you've grown up? Amazing question. I love these questions. This is really fun. Um, it's actually something I've thought about a lot because I've, I reflect on growing up and, and kind of doing the quote right thing and getting really good grades in school and reflecting on it. Now I realize how meaningless a lot of that is because getting an A on a paper or whatever basically just says that the teacher thought you did a good job, right? But is that the right answer? Is it the best answer? Were there other right answers that I could have given? Probably, right? So I think it's it's moving from the idea of black and white thinking to realizing that the world is much grayer than 
uh, the oldest child just kind of following instructions from parents and doing really well in school would have looked at it. And I think that's been the big realization in my career is appreciating different personality types, appreciating different solutions to problems, and that critical thinking is actually the most important thing. And then thinking back on my school uh, time, critical thinking is not often rewarded, I would argue, in K-12 education. It is really mm-hmm. more about the right answer. A lot of, the, a lot of that is due to time, right? Like it's, it's hard to grade critical thinking, um, especially when you have a lot of students. So I, I feel for teachers that have to do that. So I think that's probably been the biggest change I've had over my career in my life. It sounds like uh, the work that you did at agencies. I mean, one of the biggest biggest challenges I have, I'm also the eldest uh, and I can relate to a great many of the things that you're saying about it's it's perfectly comfortable for pe- for me when people tell me what I should be doing. Uh, and, and having that structure removed, you know, if you're working at an agency, you don't really have someone telling you what to do every day, most likely, or if you're trying to plan out something, maybe that that aspect, the less leadership aspect, uh, helped you change the requirement for having that kind of structure so that you can now lead more comfortably, just reflecting on that. To me, it's still hard. I never worked at an agency, so I've always had a boss. I've always had someone who's been telling me what to do until the last few years. Well, I think at an agency, the project and the client are often the boss, right? So it's just, as you said earlier, you're totally right. It's much more short-term. It's not as much about where the company is going and what the company is doing. Um, It's more about can we deliver so that the client is happy and they pay us and then we move on to the next project? Yeah, yeah. What's what's interesting to me about this, I, and I haven't thought about this question as it relates to me, but the, you know, getting an English literature degree. I remember in college, one of the first English classes I took, we were talking about grammatical things or something. And, and my professor said, everything you've ever learned is an opinion. There are not rules about these things unless you're writing within a specific, you know, if you have to publish for a specific uh, literary format, then yes, there's rules. But otherwise, it's, it's just a matter of opinion and forget everything you've ever learned because it's just a matter of opinion. And I've never thought about how that applies to, I think it's really interesting, Eric, just your way of saying, you know, there is a right and a wrong way kind of when you're growing up, you just see everything as black and white and and getting comfortable with the gray and the fact that this is all just opinions and nobody knows what they're doing, uh, you know, is just kind of interesting to me. It's such a powerful idea. Yeah. Yeah. And and the fact that context makes such a difference, right? Are there things that you're dealing with right now uh, in your leadership, uh, in your management role at work that feel super unique to your situation that uh, you don't know that necessarily happen elsewhere? that the context is very, very important for? That is a really interesting question. I would say probably because I feel like most places have, you know, the weird organizational culture because, you know, it's it's public knowledge that Wirecutter was a startup and was acquired by the New York Times. So I think there's always going to be challenges and things that change in the culture as a result of an acquisition like that. But I think as far as like, the things that we deal with, I think one interesting thing I can think of is that in the grand scheme of the organization, we're kind of like the janitors who keep the lights on. We don't write the content. You know, people love our wire cutter reviews, but they can't visit the site and use the content without us. So we're, we're in more of a support role um, than maybe, I'm guessing, Kendall, in, in, your, in your role, in your company, you're more the primary um, function of the company. Is that accurate to say? Um, gosh, I'm trying to parse that. So maybe put differently, do you or do you or anyone, do you do engineering work at a company that does engineering work versus in our case, we do engineering work at a company that publishes content? Well, I think I think we're a little bit a little bit similar as it's a little different. We we build the code that ships the code, right? Because we're an infrastructure company. That's um, a great so point. I always tell people we're we're the plumbing of the internet. You you know, you don't you don't want to think about it, you don't want to worry about it, but you need to know it works. Um that's that's probably 
I probably shouldn't say that publicly. That sounds terrible, but it is, it, you know, it's an important piece of the infrastructure, right? And, yeah, uh, no, it totally but is. It's but the it's the main thing that your company ships. You're, you deliver that, that, that service. Yeah, yeah, but we ship the things that allow other people to ship. Uh, so it's a little, I, yeah, it's different, but similar sure. to what you're saying. And what about you, Rachel? Uh, well, I'm in technical marketing at my company, so I do not actually ship the things other than blog posts and such uh, case studies that uh, we deliver. The service is, is unrelated to the work that I do on a technical level. So yeah, I understand what you're talking about. It's like you know, being the IT department at a, an accounting firm. Yeah, it is. And I, I think, though, um, one thing I would I can say about the New York Times acquisition is there is a 100% commitment to the idea of, of treating Wirecutter as a product and investing on the digital side of things. So it, we are definitely not neglected at all. I know that can happen at some places where you are the proverbial janitors. That's not to denigrate janitors, by the way. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think that 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 can happen that way where, well, you just, you know, you're important. We need you, but you're not as important as the other people. I don't feel that way at all at Wirecutter. That's, that's, that's awesome. a big deal. Yeah, I think, I think, in, and I'm, you know, just even thinking about the analogy I just used, you are in some sense, you know, I, I played tuba growing up and you are in some sense the, the tuba player in the band. Nobody really notices unless it goes away, yeah. right? But if the website <laughs> stops working, everybody notices. Uh, yeah, uh, usually at Friday on four, at 4 p.m. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, someone puts something out. <laughs> yeah, nobody's thinking about the CMS. Nobody, they're just consuming the content. But if, if for some reason the content delivery system stops working, that's pretty darn essential. Now, you know, mm-hmm. the music can go on without a tuba. It can't go on without the CMS. Uh, <laughs> yes, but. definitely, definitely true. <laughs> anyway. All right, let us, let's move on to another, uh, another topic. Are you, uh, do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? And how does that affect your work? I consider myself 100% to be an introvert. Um, when I've taken the Myers-Briggs, the free version, not the real one, I come up as INTJ, which I think is very common. I think that Caleb was as well in your first mm-hmm. episode, I want to say. My boss has said she is the same. Um, and it's affected how I look at my work and how I take care of myself, I would say. And that knowing that talking to people is something I enjoy. It's been great talking to both of you. Um, I'm an outgoing introvert in that sense, I think. But it does drain me of energy. And I do need to uh, decompress and I need to, to recharge. And I have strategies for dealing with that. Um, I block off time for lunch. Um, mm-hmm. It's not even just all about the eating. I take my iPad with me and I read, uh, you know, I have, I read books. I read the New Yorker every week. I do all these different things. Um, just carving out that time to get outside the house, you know, working remote, it's easy to get the cabin fever and then talking to people, it's easy to get exhausted. I find that by getting out of the house for lunch every day, it, it helps me get over that. Do you think that working remotely is helpful for that? Because I certainly yes. find that I'm, I'm also, I'm quite similar in that I'm introverted, but I, when it's about work, when it's about, you know, anything but small talk, basically, <laughs> I'm interested, uh, but it is exhausting. And have, not having to go and like, uh, I don't know, present in front of people all day makes it so much easier to, to keep working. Yes. I, I love working remote. And if I could choose, I would do it for the rest of my career because <laughs> it works for me. It works for my personality. Oh, yeah. Uh, what are your hobbies outside of work? So I, I love music. I had mentioned that I got really into music in high school. I've been playing guitar now, I realized, for over 20 years, which is crazy to think about. Oh, and I, no. I still love doing that. Um, don't play in a band or anything, but I just you know play for my own enjoyment. And I collect records and I still listen to a lot of music. I feel like a lot of people fall off with music, but I haven't yet. I still like finding new things and doing that. Um, yeah. I also play hockey. Uh, wow. I, I picked that up as an adult. I live in Minnesota, so it, it's it's an easy fit, and there's a lot of adult options for hockey. But I I do that at least you know once or twice a week. And I, for clarity, I've, you're talking ice hockey, not street ice hockey, hockey not field hockey. Yes, you're right. Uh-huh. I should clarify, especially for the East Coast people. 
awesome. It's it's great actually. I, it's it's good for keeping me in shape and and it's a lot of fun. Um, I also take photos. I I still I shoot with a DSLR and one of those dinosaurs. I I haven't gone full over to the uh, the iPhone way of taking photos, and I I, I love to do that. Um, and then also just kind of staying in shape, running and and biking a little bit. I haven't done that as much lately, and just walking in the areas that we have around Minneapolis is something that my family and I like to do a lot. It is beautiful there, especially at this time of year. If you can yes, before it. it gets super hot. Yeah. With regards to things like playing on a hockey team, uh, do you find that having become a leader, having some uh, management experience, does that affect the way that you interact with your teammates? Oh, it, it totally does. And I'm laughing to myself because it also affects other personal relationships, you know, like the relationship I have with my wife. <laughs> I have to try really hard to turn off the management. Like, well, what would you do about that? Or what do you think you should, you know, the, the turning the questions back and trying to just be a supportive listening uh, person versus somebody who's trying to help solve the problem, which I think mm-hmm. is often what you're trying to do in management. But as far as hockey goes, definitely, um, you know, I've seen things over the years on different teams. It's an interesting dynamic, just like a workplace is where you have different personalities, different skills, all coming together to try to achieve a common objective. Um, there's, there's a lot of analogies now that I think about it. So I, I definitely, I think, have brought, I think, more patience and wisdom maybe since I've become a manager to every part of my life. Now, my wife might disagree, but I, I feel like I just am more reflective maybe than I once was about certain things where I probably would have responded more emotionally or more of a knee-jerk response to something. And I think that the time I've spent in management now has made me take a little bit more of a step back and think about what's really going on and look for deeper root causes and everything. Do you think it's made you more self-aware? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And like, and learning that it's not all, it's not about you. It's not about the reaction they're having to you or whatever's going on. Yes. It's, and understanding yeah. why I react the way I do. And, you know, Kendall, you'd asked about my childhood and, and I think Rachel, you were talking about it too. I think I thought a lot more about those things in the last couple of years than I did previously. And it's helped inform, you know, trying to maybe work on some of those things and grow in certain ways because I realized that it's there, right. That um, maybe that desire or willingness to just go along with what I'm told. No, my job is to ask questions and to push back. I've been a lot more reflective about that since I, I moved into management. Cool, cool. Uh, let's see. You got anything, Kendall? No, I think that mostly covers it. We, we like to ask people, uh, if money were no object, what would, you do, what would you do with your life? Would it dramatically change things? I don't think it would because I enjoy what I do so much. I mean, obviously, it would be nice not to have to ever worry about money again, but I think that I would be doing something very similar. I think... I probably carve out more time for personal projects. Like I still like to write code. It's just hard to find the time to do that, especially with a one-year-old at home who mm-hmm. gets up really early. It's harder to stay up late like I used to do. You know, I'd, I'd work uh, during the day and then I'd stay up till probably one o'clock in the morning um, and then wake up at nine and start my job, you know, before I, I had a kid. But yeah, I think I'd, I'd mostly be doing something similar. I think this idea of being a multiplier on a team and and really helping people be their best selves and achieve more than they thought they could um, is so powerful and I find really, really rewarding. And I'm assuming that that is probably the case for both of you as well. I think it's a common, common theme. Um, and I, I should, by the way, if we're ending, I should call out, um, the people on the Slack leadership, uh, the Rand's Slack leadership team, um, for being so inspiring, especially people like Roy Rappaport. I don't know if that's how you say his name, but I have stolen so many things from him and <laughs> observed over the years. Um, he and people like Michael Lopp and others that I'm probably forgetting to mention, um, have really been amazing. And so if anyone is interested in getting into leadership or is just wants to be more of a leader in their current role, I would definitely recommend checking it out. 
Yeah, and absolutely, if, uh, for those of you following along at home, uh, if you're hearing a lot about this RANS Leadership Slack, uh, I would recommend just Googling RANS Leadership Slack and get, I think the first thing that'll come up will be the way to get an invite. So go ahead and do that. I wonder also uh, where we could reach you. If someone wanted to reach you on the internet, is there a Twitter account or uh, a LinkedIn or Instagram? Sure. Yeah, I'm on all of them and I'm mostly What's your Eric. Band camp? <laughs> Eric M. Jorgensen. Uh, that's M as in Michael, Eric M. Jorgensen. Um, and the Jorgensen is with an E-N because people in Minnesota always get it wrong and spell with an O-N first. So yeah, I'm on everything. Instagram, it's public. You can look at pictures of my kid if you want. I don't care. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I am on Twitter as well. I don't tweet a lot, but I am on on, on Twitter. More than willing to talk about management uh, with anyone at any time. I am on the RANS Leadership Slack too. Okay, awesome. Wonderful. Well, thanks for being with us, Eric. We enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I shouldn't speak for Rachel, but I think she enjoyed it. From, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you we so much for having me on. It was really fun. Have a good day. rest of the day. You as well. <laughs>